Hello and welcome again to Architecture Insights, the podcast series produced by the New South Wales Architects Registration Board. I'm your host, Di Snape. In this second of two episodes about education programs, um, you'll hear an interview that I did a couple of months ago with Annette Maurer, who is one of the founders and directors of Steam Pop. She is an educator. She's a specialist in using design thinking strategies, um, basically to encourage the integration of art and design into STEM thinking around education, STEM being science, technology, engineering and maths, um, which no doubt you've heard something about. Um, You'll also hear a little bit from Registrar Tim Horton on the subject of the education programs which the board is involved in uh, with schools. So um, let's have a listen to Annette Mauer talking about architecture in the New South Wales education system. podcast recording booth once again and I'm joined today by Annette Maurer who has a long practice of being an educator in the areas of art and design, uh, is now co-director of Steam Pop um, and has created numerous uh, innovative learning programs and produced a whole lot of exciting and really accessible exhibitions. Welcome Annette. Thanks very much Di. Tell me what's Steam Pop? Steam Pop um, was well, we've created Steam Pop. Um, there were three teachers: a maths teacher, a design and technology teacher. So Jane Martin, Melissa Silk, design and technology, and myself, an art visual arts teacher. We did, we put it together about two years ago to actually um, bring bring the visual arts and design into STEM, and to really focus on probably teaching mathematics um, through making. Because we value the handmade um, above probably everything else. Um, so although we do dabble with technology, we really are focused on making and maths. Mindful making through mathematics. <laughs> I became involved with the board quite a few years ago um, when Kate Doyle was the registrar. And I was head of learning at Object, as it was called then. It's now called the Australian Design Centre. And Kate approached me to develop a learning resource for stage six visual arts, which I did over about a year and that's What's called stage six visual stage, arts. Yeah, sorry, the, I'm speaking for jargon the here. Yeah, for that. So it's really for years eleven and twelve. And um, I did that and it's called Building Connections and it's a resource around the architecture and art of art galleries. And so how has that evolved? I mean, I know now that the board is running several programs in partnership with the Department of Education that you've been in, um, engaged in developing. Um, how has that evolved into what the board is doing now? Well, Tim just approached me because he, he knew I was in that STEAM space now and had worked with the board before and have... I've had a great interest in architecture and I've pr I promoted it quite heavily when I was a visual arts teacher, not only in my school but in the visual arts teaching community as a really important thing. People often ignored it. So I was working in that space but I, have, I was not actually involved in the development of SpaceWise. 
Right. Okay. So what is it about this kind of, this aspect, the relationship between making and mathematics and <clears throat> putting the STEAM into STEM, what is it about that that makes it important for you? Well, not being a mathematician myself and struggling with maths, and I think a lot of people do, um, what we're doing in Steampop is really trying to create a visual and aesthetic output from maths. So I think we all realise, you know, that mathematics can create beautiful, elegant solutions to problems and beautiful, elegant solutions in buildings and in patterns and in art. And we developed a, pro a product called Lumifold, which is a beautiful lamp, and it is based on the glide reflection, which is a sort of geometries, elemental symmetries, and all sorts of things like that. And people make these lamps, and we teach them the maths as they go along. Right. Okay. So it's sort of starting with the uh, end with, object and figuring yeah, yeah. out what the mathematics. Well, are it's behind starting it. with this basic geometry of a flat piece of paper, mm -hmm. and then creating a form from that flat piece of paper, and looking at why that that geom why those geometries, why those folds actually make that form, and if you turn them ninety degrees, they make a different form. One of the forms is flexible, one of them is rigid. So it's some some basic engineering as well. People love it; that it's beautiful. And um, it's just a way of teaching people about the way maths can form the foundation of design um, and engineering, I suppose. And is there, are these sorts of ideas still directed at that, um, as you said, stage six group of um, students or yeah. is it or is it more varied now? We've worked with everybody. We work with adults. We work with, we've, been, we've worked with children as young as... Eight. We've got other projects called little binary bugs that we fold and we do probability and make patterns and things. So we're working from, you know, um, children, young children right through to adults when we do a lot of community events. Um, we've been at MoMath, the Museum of Maths and Art, um, mu the Museum of Mathematics in New York. Um, we've been at Vivid. We did a few events at Vivid because we do lighting, lamps. Um, so... You know, we, and we do a lot of teacher professional development. But we're looking to, you know, we, we're happy to do any sorts of workshops. And so how is this kind of impacting, what are you saying in terms of the impact to um, the students and I guess particularly, you know, school-age students? There's two aspects. It's transdisciplinary where you integrate different disciplines and this is where I see architecture as the obvious transdisciplinary discipline or practice um, and it's also interdisciplinary so you're making connections along that learning journey so you can actually do something say here's a connection we've made a pattern how have we done that we've done it through probability um, or we've done it through binary on off that's how computers work um, so we're trying to make those connections from for people but at the same time, integrating a number of different disciplines. But we focus mainly on maths and art, but we also look at things like biomimicry and, and, and things like that. And are you seeing an influence also in the way that curricula are put forward? I mean, are you, are you seeing a difference in the way that teachers teach? Well, um, there is a movement, you know, the STEM movement and the STEAM movement. Um, and I know that in primary schools it is much more... It's much easier, obviously, one teacher to integrate, and I think there's a lot of um, there's a lot of amazing and creative teachers out there doing that. 
I think it is more problematic in secondary schools where you've got subject specialists um, and so it's more it's more challenging for people to collaborate but we do that's part of our our uh, sort of process is that we want people to collaborate so we really enjoy it when we go out to a school and we have maths teachers working with art teachers working with PE teachers or whatever and we've and we've worked in that in that space before and I suppose a lot of what we do is based around project-based learning so there might be a problem that students are asked to solve and they'll need to use a number of different subject specific areas to do that or to work in those areas. What is it specifically about architecture that you think is kind of helping them to to bring those ideas all together? Well, I'm hoping that through this SpaceWise program or to bring architects into schools, that um, that students and teachers can see what they're teaching in some of their subjects actually has a real-world application, is actually practised out there. And of course, like I'm not an architect, but I know that architecture is the is the discipline and practice of, you know, the interactions of humans, behaviours, um, you know, engineering, art, and um, I think we we don't live in a world of silos anymore. I think schools, in many ways, especially secondary schools, as I've said, still operate in silos. Architecture can make those connections for teachers and students to see out there we don't just do maths, we don't just do design. Mm. We, we have to connect yeah. them in order to make something meaningful to human the human experience. I think that's quite interesting, the idea that through speaking to students, particularly young kids, about the spaces that they inhabit and asking them to you know, engage with that and evaluate it and measure it up and talk about it, that gives them some sort of... Um, it offers a, a young child a kind of real sense of ownership. Yeah, a, a sense of empowerment over their own environment, I think. Mm. And I think architecture, the t- if we could bring... If we can bring this program into schools um, and bring architects into schools, I think using the design process and design thinking and helping, and I'm saying teachers and students because I think there is a huge um, potential for teacher professional development, professional learning here, but it really is about um, helping them observe helping them going through that design thinking and design process of observing and empathy of the way of people's behaviour and creative and critical thinking, problem solving, reframing problems, prototyping, experimenting, all that sort of stuff um, we can bring in through this architecture program. So it's not about turning all teachers or all students into architects, is it? We do not want to turn all teachers <laughs> and students into architects. We want I think them to that's be for the best. We, I think it is. We want them to be aware of the environment. We want them to be able to. We want them to give them the language, mm. um, the to communicate. So as these kids get older, they can actually take part in any public debate. I mean, it's their cities, it's their spaces. So if we give them that language, we give them those observational and empathy skills um, and even to some of the just some of the practical understanding of what 
it means to design a public space or design a building. I think it's um, such a critical thing to teach people how to do that, how to advocate for what they need yeah. in their world. Absolutely. You know, at Abs- all scales. Yeah. yeah. Next. Have you noticed this tool kind of um, changing the way that teachers and students talk to you about their physical environment? Um, I've got to be honest with you, not at the moment. This is early days. Mm. I think, you know, we. I think there's always a lot of teachers out there who are aware and who, who would bring that into the classroom. But I, I think, you know, teachers live in 1950s design classrooms and 60s design. I mean, I lived in a 1950s classroom. That was what I was operating in. And, you know, it's they're battling for many of them against their environment. And what you do, and I think it's probably a bit like nurses, you, you're always sort of hacking the environment to try and make it work for you. So I don't think teachers and students have had enough um, exposure to good architecture and good design in terms of a learning environment. And, I mean, there obviously are some beautiful schools out there and things like that, but for the most part, teachers are... So I don't... I'm, I'm not sure whether that is something that there's there's been an awareness of at the moment. I guess it comes back to that idea that the more you are able to express, you know, the things that you need from your classroom environment or the whole school or you know Mm. the way that the streets are organized for the kids to walk to school you know the more that you're able to talk about those requirements the better you're able to influence you know decisions that are made I guess well I I hope I think you're right if as long as they're asked and I think it's a two-way two-way thing I think the more um, students and teachers do have the language do have the understanding can make connections between um, you know, the human experience and spaces and buildings and all that sort of stuff. If they show that, hopefully, on the other side of it, people will actually ask them what's needed and what they and what they want, and there will be a dialogue. And in my experience, kids are, can be actually quite sophisticated in the way that they do uh, talk about their spatial mm. environment, um, and I'm not sure that that sort of quite innate understanding is always nurtured as much as it should be and I think that goes back to you know giving people the um credibility giving people's ideas credibility mm, that's right talking to them and I think I think the other thing is well why in Steampop we're very con- you know um we advocate you know the handmade making things as well as thinking about things so you think through your hands um I think you know the more that kids can get the opportunity, and I think this is what SpaceWise does, is to draw, to sketch, to make, get the opportunity to make models and to do it using this program, which has some real skills base in it, um, the more they can communicate their ideas as well, not just on screens. So what do you think are going to be the most important elements to making a program like SpaceWise or something like it be successful? Look, first of all, I get. I guess we need some willing teachers to take to take this on, and some willing architects, and and to have them collaborate, and not just they won't just um, follow the program as it is. They'll co- hopefully collaborate and 
you know, tweak it and change it and take bits that they like and don't like and whatever and make it for that particular class or school. So that collaboration is the most important. Um, willing principals to let you into the school and, you know, um, everybody wants to get into schools now. It is, you know, it's pretty difficult. Um, so you've really got to show that this is a great program and it is a great program because it was designed by people um, with huge knowledge in the department. Um, and um, I guess it's that it's the collaboration and the time and the pre-planning to actually make it work and hopefully a little bit of, um, not heavy training, but a little bit of training with the architects so they don't go in and go like, deer in the headlights what are these what is stage six or what is stage three just to get them comfortable with that school environment um and to help to say to architects look this is going to actually you, you know you need to value what you do and bring that in we don't want you to give a talk on architecture we want you to bring your skills in um and actually um show what you do and the kids will absolutely love it is this something that could be um, beneficial for architects who are designing schools, do you think? Oh, it'd be the best thing they could do. <laughs> All they've got to do is wait till the bell rings and sees what, see what happens <laughs> when 800 people come out of rooms. <laughs> when I was working... Um, at Object, the Australian, now the Australian Design Centre, I developed um, a program called Design Emergency, which was design thinking for younger students. And, um, you know, again, it's pretty well the design process, but it does a lot more on um, upfront what is... It really concentrates on the user and empathy. And so I had been into a number of um, primary schools and we, we looked at problems in the school and we spent quite a lot of time on reframing the problem. So in my first school, which was an inner city school, they said there was not enough playground equipment and everybody was fighting on it. And whilst when we investigated the problem, it wasn't that. It was the fact that the older kids couldn't get the sports equipment because it was all disorganised and locked up their initial solution was to raise money to buy more playground equipment. So what we did is we redesigned the sports equipment storage area and then we used like metaphor and we used a metaphor of a shop. So what they did was they designed it so they had storage at the back and up the front. They had the balls and the hoops and the skipping ropes and people could come in and have a look at what was there just as you would a shop. That's right. And then they would go and get the thing and they had the key and they opened up, etc., etc. So I guess for me that design thinking process is really powerful. Not so much – I mean the end product was great – in some schools and in other schools it wasn't, but it was the process of understanding what problems, what is the real problem and how do people operate and how do they, and how, observing their behaviour and seeing what, what the real problem is. And how did the kids respond to that? Well, they loved it because what, what their initial idea was is just to buy more stuff, but they, they could see that, oh, my goodness, we actually don't really want... We're, we're, we're nine and ten years old. We don't want to play on this with the kindergartens. We really want to play soccer or 
play with the balls and things. So it was a much better solution for them. So we've talked a bit about what it brings to students and teachers to, you know, infect their learning with some design thinking Mm -hmm. and architecture in particular. What do you reckon is in it for architects? Well, you have to get your message across in in a succinct way and so you've got to think about what you're doing and I think if going into a group of kids you need to be able to say you know what do I do what value do I bring how can I communicate this to you how can I and I think they will find it naturally interesting but um, you've really got to I think you've got to be more mindful about the way you're communicating now I know some great communicators that are architects um, but I always, I just think it, for anybody, it's it's quite um, a levelling experience to go into a group of ten-year-olds or fourteen-year-old boys or whatever. And um, and I don't want to say that we're going to put them on the spot. We want to try and make it as fun and, and as interesting as possible. But it really does focus you on what you're doing because you've got to explain it. But I also think architect. I think you know it's always good to get out of your own environment a bit and to challenge yourself in a different and new environment. And I think that's good for anybody. What are the next steps for um, space-wise for your role in this? What what should we all be looking out for? Well, I guess we need, and I, I guess we need willing architects um, and I need to find some willing schools. And I think we're going to start with maybe five, possibly six schools probably some upper primary, lower secondary classes. And um, I think what we'll probably be doing is running the program, not just in design and technology, which was it was originally written, written for, but I think we could do it in visual designs, graphic technology. And I think there are some schools that actually run their own school-endorsed architecture courses. So we might run it in a few different types of syllabus areas, see how architects and teachers collaborate, get some findings, and then possibly look at whether we need to retweet the program. And I think what's going to be really, really important is at the end of this program, if we do five or six schools, we have some external exhibition for the kids. I think that is so important for them that they show their work and they can talk about their work outside their own school. What's so important about that, do you think? Um, I think it really, they re- again, putting them out into a different environment, having to getting them to focus on what they've actually done and re it's re-looking at the process and I think it's that sort of meta-learning of... Um, I've done this, now can I articulate actually what I've done? Um, And I think, you know, it makes them proud. It's great for the school. And so what's the time commitment required if if architects are interested in participating? I would say some pre-planning with the teacher and then coming in at certain points in the program. So it might be four or five times maybe three times, maybe right. there's some emailing so or there's some a bit of Skyping. Room in it. You know, I think yeah. there's a lot of room depending on, first of all, how close they are, into physically close. Um, but there's opportunities for Skype calls and emails and working on Google Drives and, and all sorts of use of technology um, that they could use. But possibly two, at least two to three times of 
face-to-face interaction, I would say. Teachers, uh, educators and architects and students can find out more about the SpaceWise program on the um, Department of Education website or on the New South Wales Architects Registration Mm -hmm. Board. I'll put the links for those on the... um, on SoundCloud for this podcast, if anyone's interested. Um, having gone through this development phase and um, hopefully engaging um, enough schools to undertake the exhibitions and presentations from the students, will you and the board bring back those findings to the Department of Education to c- try and um, gain greater interest? Uh, is that part of yeah, the... Yeah, th- and I think from the people who wrote this and we had them in and they're you know consultants and you know work for the national curriculum and that's something I haven't mentioned is that if we once we've done this pilot with the in schools we bring it back and we map it against the Australian curriculum so if we look at this program and we look at outcomes in the Australian curriculum we'll be able to say if you do this you'll fulfill things aspects of the Australian curriculum, which means that we can take it out nationally. Right. It doesn't have to stay in New South Wales. Wow, that's pretty exciting. Yeah. Mm. But that's a bit of work and it also means we need to map, and what they call mapping it, is looking at the program and what, what it links, what outcomes it links to in particular syllabus areas in the New South Wales syllabus yeah, curriculum. Right, yeah. yeah. That's really fantastic and I hope that anyone listening who's an architect or a teacher or a student who's interested that um, you should contact the board and then the board can um, try and partner you up. That's really fantastic. Thank you so much, Annette. Thank you for coming in. Thank you. That was Annette Mauer. Thank you very much for listening to Architecture Insights. I'm your host, Di Snape. If you'd like to listen to more episodes, you can download them on SoundCloud, where we also post podcasts um, by other people about subjects which we find interesting, and you might too, so please go and check it out. Uh, Thank you very much again for listening.